0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, it's The Voice of Reason. It is a Friday, the day you've been looking forward to for the entire week. Hey, welcome into the program. I am Andy Hoosier. This is The Voice of Reason broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. Multiple radio stations, multiple TV stations, live streaming, podcasting, wherever you may be watching or listening. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Try to ignore the voice today. Try to ignore it. Uh, We did not have a program yesterday. We had a Best Of running, which many of you, I'm sure, noticed. And it was because I was on the road traveling. I don't do this very often. But I stepped away for just a day in the afternoon. I drove about three hours for a concert. Yeah, I did, because I was that dedicated. And I tell you what, it was pretty awesome. So we'll recap that here in just a little bit. But getting into your weekend, we have a heck of a lot to get to today. Can you imagine... Can you imagine now forcing kids into the COVID-19 vaccine? That's the point that we're at. And, of course, that had to come down yesterday. Plus, we have some election recap stuff to get to. We have Eurotrash, author of the book Eurotrash, David Harsanyi. He's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour, so get ready for that one. So a full slate today. Here on a Friday, welcome, aboard. Great to have you along for the ride today. Uh, I do want to touch on that. Plus, we have a jobs report that came out. The media is hyping up this jobs report is how it's so wonderful because so many jobs were added, and we should be very happy about that. At the same time, CNS News came out to report that the amount of people that are actually not in the workforce. So while the unemployment rate ticks down. Is it because more people are going into the workforce, or is it because there's just not enough people that are actually looking for work or actually on the social programs and the unemployment to actually count for the unemployment rates? We'll get to all that and more here on a Friday. Welcome aboard. I do want to jump right into our guest right off the bat, because as you know, on whatever day it was, Wednesday... We covered the election results from Tuesday, major wins for Republicans across the board. We had the Virginia governor's race. We had the Virginia lieutenant governor's race. We have school boards and city council races all over the nation. It's still, it's, it's quote unquote called in New Jersey, although I know the Republican is not conceding in that race because of some uh, technical issues with some electronic voting machines. <laughs> I know, shocker, right? But what does it all mean? And as we talked about on Wednesday, where do Democrats move forward now? They have a massive reconciliation bill that they're trying to ram through. They have a massive climate change initiative they're trying to ram through. They have massive spending that they're trying to ram through. Massive social program expansions they're trying to ram through. And I think the message on Tuesday was that people aren't very happy with the direction we're going. Joe Biden, the president of the United States with extremely low approval ratings right now, was on the campaign trail for the Democrat in Virginia and lost. Donald Trump did not campaign for the Republican in Virginia, and the Republicans still won. And the only victory the media tried to claim on Wednesday was that it was because Donald Trump wasn't in the race, and therefore the Republican Party could start moving forward without the Donald Trump agenda, which I find hilarious. But what does it mean for the agenda of the Democrats, and what does it mean overall for the mindset of the vast population? Are we changing the tide here? Now, they try to say that Virginia is a stronghold for Democrats. I would like to contest that because obviously a Republican won. Uh, And if you remember just a year or so ago when they tried to come down on Second Amendment issues, the thousands of people that showed up at the Capitol in Virginia with their very large firearms to show support of the Second Amendment. It wasn't about race because multiple races were there. It wasn't about partisanship because Republicans and Democrats alike were there. It was strictly about the issues. Does this mean that Virginia voters and other major cities across the nation are voting strictly based on party partisanship or are they voting on issues and is that an opening for some conservatives and republicans to get their opportunity to get into some of these city city areas spread some conservative news and win some people over? To talk about that and more, really excited to have this guy back on the program as we get into our latest in what's trending. What's
1: trending today? We've had
0: him on the program before, and it's super exciting to have him back on the program. He is author of the book, What Next, Chicago? Notes of a Pissed Off Native Son. Excited to have back on here with us, Matt Rosenberg. Matt, how are you, my friend?
1: Andy, I'm doing great. Good to be with you again.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Elections. I mean, I think on the Republican side, they're pretty happy of what happened on Tuesday. The Democrats, do you think they're going to respond accordingly? I mean, they could go one of two ways. They could either Uh, let go of the gas pedal a little bit because they don't want to lose the midterms next year, or they're going to push it extra hard because they want to ram it through before they lose their majorities next year. What do you, what direction do you think they're going to go?
1: I think recent history indicates they're going to keep their foot on the pedal. Um, Overreach is a real problem, but I think they're kind of tone deaf. And I think we even saw that uh, as the election results were becoming clear In Virginia, uh, you had pundits on the left and even party apparatchiks saying, well, then, you know, this just shows there's a racist strand in the Virginia electorate, which was certainly a stretch considering the complexion of a number of the top officials who got elected, the lieutenant governor and the attorney general. Um, I hope there's a change. Uh, It would be for the betterment of the nation and our cities um, if Democrats actually got a clue. Um, And there are some big clues out there looking uh, at the fine grain of the election results in places like New York City, uh, Minneapolis, and Seattle, to name just a few places I've been tracking.
0: Yeah. The change in dynamic politically, I mean, is it, as I kind of tease, is it partisanship-driven? Just, oh, the Republicans turned out and the Democrats didn't? Is it ideologically driven? I mean, I know in Virginia, I think that the main focal point was the shot in the foot the Democrats did when they really went after the parents, saying that they shouldn't have any say in the local schools and the school curriculum with the local school boards. I think that was the deal-breaker there, but is it really just a partisan divide right now, or is it really— Issue-driven on what the results looked like for from Tuesday.
1: I think it's more issue-driven. You know, we've got certain parts of the country that are settled into partisan patterns, right? The big blue cities uh, generally tend to go very blue, and uh, certain parts of rural America are solidly red. And once again, Virginia reminds us of the importance of suburban areas. Um, I think issues are going to be really, really important going forward. Some say it might have been the economy in Virginia, not just what some people call critical race theory. And that's entirely possible. You know, uh, joblessness, inflation, all of that stuff can make uh, a swing electorate restless. But uh, if you look at what happened in Minneapolis, for example, voters rejected um A uh, special referendum to essentially abolish the police department in favor of a social services oriented uh, new department. Um, In Seattle, a Republican got elected as city attorney against a sort of stridently pro criminal candidate who more or less wanted to abolish the office. So even uh, my other hometown of Seattle has its limits there to a, a pro-business centrist Democrat. won election as mayor over uh, a very radical leftist who's on the city council. And then in New York, of course, Eric Adams is now the mayor. Um, you know, the kind of Democrat you would want to see running New York, uh, pro-police, pro-school choice. So uh, there's some really interesting things shaking out. I think right now it's more issues.
0: Yeah. I I agree, and it's shocking, but it's not shocking and it's encouraging all at the same time. I saw some video today of New York City where a lot of individuals are actually throwing their trash over the fence into Bill de Blasio's uh, yard because there's (laughs) such a shortage of employees right now, uh, of people picking up trash because of the vaccine mandates. I think that the social experiment of the large cities of the massive left-wing progressive agenda that's been running it for years, for 50, 60, 70 years – I think that agenda is starting to burst. That bubble's starting to pop for some, and they're realizing that the ones that they put in power for so long wanting to fix the issues are starting to realize that the issues aren't actually being fixed, and maybe they're starting to wake up.
1: I, I think that's happening. You reach a breaking point, an inflection point, and uh, I think we could very well be there. Uh, even San Francisco. Uh, February 15th, there's going to be a recall election of uh, three school board members because in the last year, uh, while local schools were busy keeping students out of the classroom, uh, the school board embarked on a project to to basically tear down uh, up to 44 statutes. And that outraged many parents, even in, you know, uber-progressive San Francisco. Then on top of that, uh, in shades of uh, de Blasio in New York, uh, they eliminated uh, merit entrance exams to the premier high school in the whole city, uh, kind of an AP high school called Lowell High School. And I know of the place. We have friends whose kids went there. And it's an outstanding school. But the problem was there were too many Asians getting in, you know, mm. that inconvenient minority. And it's just <laughs> this kind of thinking you know, in the labeling of Asians by uh, white progressives as white adjacent. Think about it. They're not a real minority. It's just that kind of mindset that is starting to turn people off. So people are turning back to the uh, notion of solid, insane governance, grown-up supervision of municipal, state, and federal affairs. And my goodness, look at what's going on in Congress now, and, and, and just look at that spending bill. They're still haggling over. You would think they would get a clue, and that these pieces, uh, uh, these grains of sand, you know, these insights and, and knowledge that they should be drawing from Virginia, from New Jersey, from San Francisco, Minneapolis, Seattle, New York City, you think these guys would actually get a clue,
0: but there's no evidence that they're going to. Yeah, no, you think they would get a clue, you think that they would wake up, I mean, when their first response to a Republican winning Virginia is racism, when a black veteran woman uh, won the lieutenant governorship there in Virginia, and that's your play, when, I don't even know how it's racist, because the Democrat was white as well, so I'm not sure where the racist card plays in there. Uh, I mean, do you think inner cities and inner communities and people that don't necessarily hear this type of agenda or ideology are they starting to walk away from the identity politics? I mean, I think politics is getting back to the local level for the school boards, the city council, the county commission to where we can start changing our community locally. But do you think that maybe the whole identity politics has been played a little too far?
1: I think it has. And when I went deep into the South side to research my book, I heard that from black people on the South side of Chicago. You know, I talked to a pastor who's you know, running job training programs, training uh, recently 18 black female electricians who got certified, uh, Corey Brooks at New Beginnings Church, trying to raise $25 million for an expanded community and job training center for auto mechanics, hospitality workers. He's just going, and his uh, his constituency, his parish, they're just going right at the stuff that matters. Uh you know, career training. I talked to a homeschooling uh, entrepreneur, a Christian homeschooler named Latasha Fields, who has four children. And uh, she's doing the exact same thing. They're fed up with the public schools. And rather than listen to a lot of malarkey um, at uh, school board meetings, they're just doing it themselves. Homeschooling has gone up uh, dramatically in the wake of COVID in minority communities. Uh, have been at the forefront of that. So I I think people are just sidestepping a lot of the old tired debate and taking matters into their own hands. So will that translate into local electoral success? that I think is the crucial challenge and in places like Chicago it's still not clear that it will and we really need to get to that next level
0: well it's a work in progress and I think we have an opportunity here but I think the movement has begun, the spark has been lit and I think the agenda from COVID of trying to use their power to abuse and take advantage has backfired because I think people are waking up we're out of time my friend, Chicago Schooled, S-K-O-O-L-E-D dot com is the website, Chicago Schooled, the book What Next Chicago, Matt it's great to talk to you my friend, let's do it again soon public.
1: You're listening to the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I could already tell this
0: is going to be one of those faster programs. We already had Matt Rosenberg on the program. Thanks for hanging out with him. Always good to chat. Chicago school. That's S K O O L E D. Chicago dot is the website. You can go check out his book, all his great blogs, and information. It is encouraging. I love going into the weekend with some positive news and encouragement. Cities all over the country turning to the Republican side. Inner cities, attorney generals, uh, the city attorneys, county attorneys, all of them starting to say, wait a second. Maybe we shouldn't go as as extreme as we were before. That's encouraging. Because when we start focusing on the local level, again, imagine if you will in your mind, the theater of the mind here. Imagine if you will, whatever the federal government's trying to do to force you to do X, Y, and Z, If you're just doing things at the local level, it doesn't matter. And when your local elected officials don't comply and don't abide by it, when your state legislature uh, votes to pass, uh, quote-unquote, sanctuaries to block it coming from the federal government, when the state attorney general, wherever you may be, tries to legally challenge it, when everybody is against it, and then it comes down to it with you just not complying with it in any way, shape, or form, then guess what? They're really powerless. They can't hold anything against you. And they can try and pull the funding, they can try and bully you, they can try and blackmail you, they can try and, uh, you know, intimidate you, but it just doesn't work. And I'm talking about vaccines, I'm talking about insane taxes, I'm talking about everything because we can all work together. We can do it together. And it's really encouraging to me when you see inner cities not wanting to play the identity politics any longer, when the identity politics have gone just a little too far because, When you claim racism because the election was won to a Republican in a deep blue state-ish, and I say deep blue state with air quotes if you're watching on the video stream, and you claim racism to a white guy who lost because he's your candidate, and then you say that racism was the factor of why when a Republican black woman lieutenant governor actually won, I find that ironic. It's uh, Your desperation showing you might want to cover it up just a little bit. The identity politics game is old. It's over, and we're not playing that game anymore. We don't have to play the defense to try and defend ourselves. Oh, I'm not racist. I got friends that are minorities, or I got friends that are women, or I got friends that are in the LGBT community. We don't have to play that game anymore of trying to defend ourselves and trying to validate our lack of. We don't have to be on the defense any longer. They are desperate. They're trying to push the envelope because when you back a rabid dog into a corner, the only thing they know how to do is lash out. The only thing a narcissist knows how to do when you call them out and expose them publicly for the shenanigans that they pull is they try to get angry and make it personal. We beat them in Virginia right on their home territory. We're beating them in the inner cities and large cities across the the country where Democrats usually have the stronghold. They don't pay attention to them any longer. They take advantage of it. They just assume that they're going to do well there, and they're losing. I'm telling you, if you haven't seen the video on social media, try and find it. But there are tons of people uh, of all racial descents, by the way, because apparently that matters to the left. So, uh, just to throw that in for those that really do care about identity politics, there are individuals all over New York City throwing trash into the yard of Bill de Blasio's governor's mansion because they don't have enough workers right now to pick up their trash. Trash is building up. And de Blasio thinks that he's going to take a shot to run for governor of the state of New York because he's done so well in the city of New York City. So well that he's imposed a vaccine mandate that cut a third of the fire department. That's cut about a quarter of the police department. That's gotten rid of state or city employees all over to where now trash is building up and no one knows what to do with the trash. So they throw it in his yard. That is the social experiment from the Democrats that's failed miserably. And they're living in such a weird, delusional world where they think that they're still succeeding. Where they're trying to put on the blinders, the horse blinders, and walk as if nothing ever happened. Pelosi's still trying to ramp through the reconciliation bill. Joe Biden just released with OSHA today the guidelines for the vaccine mandates was it last night or today I don't remember Uh, the OSHA mandates for the vaccine mandates for all businesses over 100 employees where they say beginning of January everybody needs to be vaccinated or have some type of exemption or have some type of plan in place for testing or whatever or else you could start getting fines even after the demolishing during the elections this week they still move forward with their agenda because they don't get the hint so I guess we need to make the hint a little bit bigger The Voice of Reason with Andy You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into the program. Halfway through already, it flows right on by. I don't care what any other radio show says. We are the fastest hour of radio on radio, really. Multiple radio stations, multiple TV stations, live streaming, podcasting. We were off yesterday. I'm feeling good today, though. Every once in a while, we need a little R&R, although I didn't get any R&R. I am sore and I am hurting today, <laughs> but in a good way. I hurt so good, if you know what I mean. I Here's words of wisdom. Never jump into a mosh pit at a metal show while they're doing the wall of death. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man. Telling you. I got hit in the kidney yesterday, but again, hurts so good. Well, I haven't been to a metal show with all this COVID garbage. It's been over a year since I've been able to go to a rock concert. And, uh, definitely got to enjoy yesterday so welcome back in your millennial general reporting for duty trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time thanks for hanging out so, let's get right to our next guest here is i love talking uh philosophy and political philosophy at that and what we can do to try and preserve what little bit of our constitutional republic we actually have left here in our latest in what's trending what's trending today and super excited to have on the program with us here he is the author of the book euro trash why america must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent excited to have on the program at david harsanyi david how are you my friend
2: i'm doing well thanks for having me
0: yeah appreciate you coming on the show very much this is an interesting topic let's go to the very beginning of european philosophy obviously i mean we had some Uh, great ideas come in when we founded the nation, but we've kind of strayed away from that. And as Europe still tries to hold on to its weird monarchy system, and we have the socialist mindset in some of the northern countries there, how much of that, in your opinion, has started to bleed into American culture today?
2: Uh, Well, I think increasingly it has in in big ways. I mean, when you think about kind of welfare state expansions, a lot of politicians are looking at in way you know, they're technocrats and want to kind of control Americans through bureaucracies and things like that. I mean, those are kind of European ideas, not very American. But you're right. I mean, the the founding was formed on some excellent European ideas of classical liberalism, and I think they manifested better here than there. And, and, And the difference was, I think, that we took them seriously for quite a long time, whereas they didn't really take them seriously in Europe at all.
0: Well, that is very true. I mean, the beginning of it, if we want to go way back then, I mean, the the Magna Carta was really the first part where we started limiting government, saying, wait a second, you don't have the power to control everything that we do. And we use that as kind of a, a stepping stone for our constitutional values here on limited government. But you're right. They didn't really take hold there. We've tried to preserve it but it seems like the longer and i guess this w- works with every society it's kind of a cyclical thing but the longer the society lasts the more of that bigger government mindset seems to infiltrate itself and i, I why is that why can't we just keep it as a as a limited government you know with the the, the, the private market the laissez faire capitalist system individual sovereignty just us doing our own thing why do we always go back to this crazy system
2: that's a good question i mean i think that uh, the, the government is the government just grows. I mean, the larger bureaucracy you have, the larger it just grows. The mission creep, the the new ways in which they want to help you, and as you create more dependency, people want more of it, or they want to make sure that what they have isn't taken away. And that's unfortunate. And this is why you know we don't want a giant bureaucracy like they have in Europe because it undermines uh, undermines the entrepreneurial spirit we have, the risk taking we have, the the self and efficiency and all the things that we do. So, you know, that's a bit the big picture of why why I think European style bureaucracies are, are really a bad idea for the United States.
0: Yeah, well, and we're bigger. I mean, we have, you know, 350 million plus individuals. I mean, when they talk about social programs that I want to talk about here in just a second, mm-hmm. you know, they're, I guess, able to sustain that a little bit better. We can't do that with how grand and, and large our system is but let's talk about some of this right now we're talking about a reconciliation bill that's near five tr- or at least it was five trillion dollars they've tried to downsize it a little bit but they still don't want to expand medicare and medicaid they still don't want to expand social security they want to do all these green new deal uh, absurdities i mean the fact that we have bernie sanders who hypes up socialism is the great epitome as he's the head of the you know finance committee in the senate that tells us something right now doesn't it
2: <laughs> it does Yeah, and you're right. I mean, you make a great point earlier about scaling the sort of systems they have in Nordic countries to here. But, you know, there's another point here that they're actually not socialistic countries. I mean, I shouldn't say they're not socialistic. They're not socialists. They have a a pretty vibrant capitalistic system that then, you know, props up this massive welfare state, you know, that that helps every, you know, not helps, but has dependency for everyone. But Bernie doesn't want that here, which, of course, won't scale. But more than that, Bernie doesn't want to pay for it. (laughs) In Scandinavian countries, everyone pays you know, over 60% of their salary and taxes off the bat, the, mm-hmm. the the middle class, the poor, he just wants to take it from the rich, but we don't have that kind of, no one has enough money to pay for what he wants to do. We're going to have to just print money or the whole system will totter over and collapse.
0: Yeah, it's not sustaining here. I mean, the economy, the GDP is growing smaller and smaller. I just read a headline last week that consumer spending is down, which is a really bad sign going into the holiday season with Black Friday and everything as well. But with consumer spending down, that means the GDP is not going to grow. While we continue to consume more of the GDP into the federal government for the spending that they have, at some point that's not going to be sustainable.
2: Right, and people view, you know, especially socialists or progressive types, always view the economic... The economy as a as a, as a pie a zero sum game where it's sliced in pieces and given here and given there. But the truth is, we want the economy to grow and wealth to grow. And the way to do that is not to keep taking money out of the private hands of private citizens in the system and giving them to government, which doesn't grow grow the economy. Its its purpose is something else. You know, you're going to just undermine growth, and that's what happens. We have a, we, you know the dynamism of American economic growth has a lot to do with entrepreneurship and stuff, as I mentioned. Well. You don't have that kind of thing in Europe. I'm just, you know, the top 30 tech companies, there's only one European company on them, and I think 20-something are are American. So they just simply do not grow wealth in the way that we do. And that's far more important than dependency.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're talking with David Harsanyi, author of the book Euro Trash, Why America Must Reject Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. You can find him online at his website, davidharsanyi.com. Let's talk about, for example, some of these social programs and the spending. Right now, as it is before we even pass something like this, social spending, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the safety net, the CHIP program, food stamps, whatever, all of it is near 60% of our entire federal budget. They like to try and split hairs and say, well, that's the mandatory spending. We need to look at the discretionary spending uh, because that just grows incrementally and does its own thing. But looking at it as a whole lump sum, the entire federal budget, 60% of it, goes towards social programs, while Bernie Sanders and those types want to say, well, look at Europe and look at the Nordic countries where they have this Medicare-for-all system or this Medicaid-for-all system and we just need to pay for it by near doubling these programs that are unsustaining. When we get to this point where it is that much of the federal budget already, is there any chance in any way, shape, or form for us to work towards bringing that back, reining it back in, and actually giving different private options to get away from the socialist mindset? Nope. Are you there, David? Might have lost him. All right, let's put him on hold for a second here. Uh, I'm really curious on what we could do with the expansion of that social, or what we could do to rein that in, because I don't know that we can. And that's been kind of the age-old question, hasn't it, is once it's there, does it go away at all? Let's see if we got him back here. David, are you there? No. All right. We'll get him back on the program here real quick. Not not a problem. Maybe he'll call back in. But, uh, of course, right when we want to talk about this really important part, because once we hit this level... And you and I have talked about this many times before. Once we've actually hit that level and you give government that opportunity, can you rein it back in? Probably not. In fact, right now we're sitting with the budget proposal where when you talk about, you know, we're going to grow the program by 6% and we need to not do that because it's more expensive. Let's grow it by 2%. They say that's a 4% cut. And then people are going to die in the street and old people and sick people and everybody else is just going to die in the street. And there's no way that we could possibly do a 4% cut when you're not cutting it. You're just growing it at a slower rate because it's already 60, 65% of our entire federal budget. Once you hit that level, the Euro trash, and that's exactly what it is. So I love the headline of that book. The Euro trash has officially set hold in American politics. And I don't know what to do to correct that. And we need to reject it, which means we need to get people off of the social programs and back into the workforce. I wanted to talk about this next segment, but this segues perfectly in here. While the headlines right now from CNBC talk about how job creation for the month of October rose with payroll jobs by 531,000 jobs, which was well above the 200 and some odd thousand they wanted for the month. That's good news, right? That's really good news. But at the same time, that's not the full story. According to CNBC, the unemployment rate fell to 4.6% with the new pandemic low and better than expectations, while wages rose by 0.4%. They're saying that things are back on the right track, and they're trying to do it at the same time that you have the vaccine mandates coming out. They say that this is happening at the same time where inflation is going up near 5% across the nation because they think that's going to be the game-winning ticket. Look at it. Inflation's up. The economy's back. People are spending money and buying things. That's why there's a shortage in the supply chain. And, you know, that's actually not true. But at the same time, you need to look at the other stat that they don't like to talk about. According to cnsnews.com, over 100 million people are not in the labor force. And that's, by the way, for the 14th straight month. Here's the problem. They don't have a job and they're not looking for a job, which means they're not blipping up on the unemployment rates and they're not blipping up on the job force rate, so all they're looking at is like how many people grew, but yet we still have over 100 million people, a third of the country that's not even working right now. That's a serious problem, is it not? So they can look at their number, try to gloat and say the economy's doing well, but it ain't doing well. It's not doing good and we need to be concerned because while more people get on the social programs, going back to how to downsize and try and rein in this government spending, how to rein in the social programs, you need to get people off of these social programs so that way they can vote to actually want to get rid of them or at least down. I don't want to get rid of them. We need a little something there. I think it should be more at the statewide level personally, but you need to get them off it from the first part in order to actually rein it in and try and spend elsewhere or bring that money back into your own pockets. Imagine what we could do if we could cut a lot of our Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security's funding goes to the government, put it back in your pocket to allow you to start a business, allow you to invest it, allow you to prepare for your own retirement, because that would be the normal thing to do. We'll see if we can't get David back on the program for the last segment here. It's a Friday on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: You're listening to The Voice of
0: Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, welcome back into the program. Weren't able to get a hold of David. I think his phone died or something. We tried to call No response. So We'll get him back on the program later. Not a big not a big deal. Euro Trash is the book why America must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent by David Harsanyi. You can find him at DavidHarsanyi.com. Find his website there, get the book, and I think it's going to be a great read. Can't wait to get mine and actually read uh, read that one as well. It really does bring a big question. And again, this ties into what we talked about in the first half of the program. People are starting to wake up from the agenda, from the propaganda, from the lies, from the manipulation, from the Democrats, from the government in general, from the elites, quote-unquote, from the mainstream media. They're waking up. They're starting to realize that we don't have to listen to it and that the agenda that they're promoting is not the agenda that is actually going on. While they try to hype up that jobs are being created by 500,000, that's nice, that's cute. Why are 100 million people still not in the workforce right now and actually contributing? Because they're on the social programs. When you breach that 50% barrier of individuals on social programs, the social programs will never go away or even downsize enough to give us our money back to raise the quality of life in the country. Instead, we have what we have right now, a massive debt, massive spending to try and sustain it. The expansion of said massive debt because they want to try and grow it even more. Inflation rates, because we think it's really, really smart people that are really, really not as smart as what they think are in there saying quantitative easing is going to get us out of this. We're just going to print money. And it doesn't work that way. What's going to get us out of it is people getting back to work, growing the GDP, the government taking less of the GDP, and actually putting financial restraints on what the government's going to do. But they're not going to promote that. While they try to lie, saying that the reason there's nothing on the shelves is because there's a supply shortage, which there kind of is, but that's not why inflation's going up inflation's going up is because you're spending so much money and because you stop producing oil here locally and you're trying to buy it now abroad, which is a really, really stupid idea. So thanks for that one, Joe Biden. You're not letting cargo ships actually unload themselves to restock, and then you're trying to say that it's a problem with the supply issue because we're just buying too much. You ever remember the prices of oil and prices of gas at the gas pump? Remember how the investors and the quote-unquote experts say, well, we think – that gas is going to go up to $4 a gallon. And then all of a sudden the gas goes up to $4 a gallon because we go under that assumption and we start acting accordingly. So by us thinking it, quote-unquote manifesting it, quote-unquote just making it happen, we think it, therefore we act react as such, and therefore it ends up happening. I mean, the investors and the quote-unquote experts in the economy are the ones that actually drive it because that's what's being reported. When you say there's going to be a shortage of toilet paper, all of a sudden during a virus and a shutdown of the country where it was attacking your lungs, there was also a massive shortage of toilet paper because someone thought and said publicly, wow, there's going to be a shortage of toilet paper and you're not going to be able to get paper products like toilet paper. You might as well go and get that while we do a lockdown. And then all of a sudden, nobody had any toilet paper. There was no need for it. There was not a shortage, there was not going to be a shortage, but someone said, wow, well, we think there's going to be, and therefore people panicked and reacted that way and therefore made it happen. Unnecessarily. You can't say the economy is doing well and try and tell us that for us to act upon that when no one's working. They're lies, their are manipulations, and we can actually dictate what's going to happen in the economy. Remember when Donald Trump got elected in December, after the election in 2016 in November, in December... I guess it was 2015, whatever, when he took office in 2016. In December, he said he was going to cut taxes. Hadn't even done it yet. Wasn't even sworn in yet. But yet the economy started booming. Businesses started expanding. People started spending their money, and consumer spending went through the roof for the holidays because they knew that taxes were going to be cut and they'd have more money in their pocket. And we came out of a recession just like that under the Obama administration, and the Trump administration brought it back. We didn't even do anything yet. We just talked about it, and boom, spending went up. Now we have inflation rates of near 5% year over year. Some say that could be even an incremental growth monthly now for the next couple of months to the end of the year. And no one's spending. Consumer spending's down, and then they're trying to tell us that we're buying too much, and that's why we have a supply shortage. It's not true. It's a lie, and we know it. So try and tell us the economy's doing well with 500,000 jobs. That's great. Why are we not having more people in the workforce? Because when we still have 55, 60% of people on social programs in some way, shape, or form, those social programs, that Euro trash ideology of a quote-unquote safety net and socialist spending is never going to go away. Can we get back to it? I think we can get back to it. We can get back to where we need to. It's just going to be an incremental process, getting people off of those back into the workforce to raise the GDP, get money back in our pockets, cut spending to put the money back into our pockets that way as well, invest in ourselves, and guess what? Voila, the magic happened. We just manifested success for everyone. Funny how that works. That does it for us today. Podcast going up in just a little bit. Make sure to check it out all over your favorite podcasting sites. We're back at it on Monday. Until then, Be your own catalyst for change. Be your own voice of reason. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio. Hey, it's Andy Hoosier. While you listen to the delightful broadcast of The Voice of Reason, don't forget to check us out and follow us on all of our social media sites. Whether you're using Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Minds.com, or Instagram,